Transmission will start in five seconds from now. Five, four, three, two, one, in. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons and whack-ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for you. It's no degree partial. It's a degree Patty McGee was right. He he was not personable. He was not charming. Nope. Not a guy you want to have a beer with. No, no, not even a shandy. Not, not even if you were Peter Falk. But, or a drum uh, buoy. Nope. <laughs> but he was right. He was right about us all being entrapped in a technological cage. Sure. Powerless to see the bars of our confinement. Yep. The reason we're doing this tonight instead of last night is because uh, the other night, I had Saturday night, I went came home from a, a party. A party. Super oh. weird. An outdoor oh. party, but a party nevertheless for a, oh. a friend who had turned 40 and bought a house. And back when she sent out the invitations for this function, it appeared that this was a safe time for vaccinated people to gather yeah. once again. Yeah. Uh, so she didn't cancel, but it was uh, vaccinated only and put a mask on if you're going in the house. Very reasonable. Uh-huh came back and and uh, my iphone my, my trusty iphone just two weeks out of its apple care warranty period had suddenly developed this weird strobe effect where like it hurt her your eyes to look at it directly <laughs> and i was like oh that's that's new and novel so i restarted it and it didn't correct the problem and then i googled for solutions and tried adjusting my brightness settings and auto level the contrast blah 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 i did a hard reset yep yep a real hard reset glenn Okay. And uh, all the hard reset did was make the screen that had previously been strobe lighty just completely inoperative. So now I'm getting the audio prompts for blind, you know, iPhone users. You can sure. navigate the, but being unpracticed in that, I didn't know what was going on. Um, trying to negotiate my my obelisk, my just entirely black. <laughs> Yes, it's like the the monolith from 2001 and yeah, trying it. to yeah, deal with this yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, I can yep. see my fingerprints on it. Apparently, there is an emergency call button that you can uh, activate um, uh-huh. easily because I, I did reach DC 911 <laughs> briefly oh, and uh, nice. explained to them that was an accident and I'm very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I hope uh, someone else was not <laughs> getting a busy okay. signal. At, uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. It's not like they're strapped or anything. <laughs> it's perfect time to call 911. Right. So, uh, and, and like by the next day, I'd kind of accepted, okay, fuck another so but I'm, but I'm trying to make this as efficient a process as possible so I'm trying to do it online via via chat um, uh-huh. and setting up the sale and I get it all set up and I pick out my new iPhone and I don't want to change cell plans or anything so I get to the final purchase stage which is simply now we're going to text you a code and you're going to enter the code here and that's going to complete the purchase and I cannot receive text messages Glenn because uh, <laughs> the <laughs> I'm here chatting back with uh, Vishal, Vishal 
very very helpful uh super yeah. chipper i guess he's he's trained to end most uh anything that's not a question to to punctuate it with an exclamation point because uh mm-hmm. you know the way the voice that i was imagining for him was was very um like a little overly energetic actually mm-hmm. a little manic almost but um Checks out. You know, he's trying to help me out. He's trying to uh, to find some way they can email the code to me. And I'm logging in on my desktop to my, my mobile carrier, trying to find out if there's some way I can see my text messages, you know, via a web browser or something. And no dice, no dice, no dice. Nothing's happening. So finally, we there's no choice but for me to to go into the, the Apple store. Uh-huh. I have to make an appointment to do that. And, you know, I get in there. And that's when uh, I'm, I'm told the, the trade-in credit is not going to apply to me because the uh, this is still we're, we're still less than 24 hours out from when my iPhone was functioning perfectly. Yeah. But but now it's just talking. Now it won't shut up. Now it's just reading the menu, you know, power off, <laughs> dial emergency. I can, I can see the, the humor in this. Yeah. The Carnegie Library in D.C., it's, it's oh, kind yeah. of embarrassing that this historic building is now an Apple store. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, uh, yes, to give the listeners a visual, this is a, a high-ceilinged, marble, echoey edifice. It has that, that kind of blank and empty sort of Apple store aesthetic, but it, it predates that. I guess this is, I, I don't know, is it colonial architectural style or oh, I can tell you. something? I don't know. It seems to have been designed to match the, the monuments. Mm-hmm. Not too far south of it. And so, yeah, I'm wandering around waiting for my turn. And, you know, of course, my phone is still call SOS, call 911. Because <laughs> I can't. You can't turn it down. Nope. Okay. Nope, All right. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> so I pick up my new phone. You know, immediately I have to download software updates and stuff. And you would think that the Apple Store would have great Wi Fi, mm. which maybe it does if, you know, 400 people aren't trying to use it at the same time. That's but, true. Uh, as this is all going on, by the way, I have a low-tech paper analog magazine with me. I have this August 23rd issue of The New Yorker. I'm trying with my frayed concentration, my, my winnowed patience, to get through an article titled Thinking It Through by Joshua Rothman. The deck on this is How Much Can Rationality Do For Us? The subject of this, I don't know, five, 6,000 word of investigation is just how, how rational, analytical does it behoove human beings to be? Uh, Spock is mentioned in like the fourth paragraph. No, I would, uh, I would imagine. Uh, sure, sure, sure. And, and you know, I'd been thinking about this because I realized I feel like I'm increasingly a slave to the fucking phone anyway, or I'm just like laying in bed in the morning, first thing in the morning, you're like staring at it for no reason. You know, there's like that lost 15 or 30 minutes before you actually get out of bed and do anything uh-huh. where you're just, you're doing nothing. You're just staring at this fucking thing. Uh-huh. It's probably drawing power out of you somehow. And the thing with me as a as a music fan uh, and, and like an obsessive is just moving files around, like changing iTunes libraries and and since uh, like a couple of OS upgrades ago, it has become increasingly unwieldy to do this between your desktop and your your iPhone, especially if you want to put music on your phone that's not available through the Apple Store, that's not in the massive Apple library, like bootlegs or just stuff you made yourself or say an episode of A Degree Absolute that you're not ready to release to the world yet, but you'd like to be able to listen to it while you're just walking around to look for the mistakes. And so this has become a like a massively time-consuming thing. And I realize like I'll have spent hours and I'm just, just moving files around. You know, it's not it's not listening to music. It's not listening to anything. It's not having any kind of a human reaction. It is behaving exactly the way a computer behaves, albeit you know, much less efficiently and, and yeah. more in a more error-prone way. Anyway, so I, this is this is the, these are the kind of dark, morbid thoughts that I'm having as I'm sitting there in the Carnegie Library, which kind of looks like 
Purgatory anyway. Like, have you seen yeah. that the Albert Brooks movie, Defending Your Life? It's, it's sure. you know, it's kind of like that. The Apple genius who ends up, you know, sincerely but ultimately unsuccessfully helping me to try to get my, my old obelisk turned back on so I can hand it over for my $220 in, in credit. Uh-huh. A, a drop in the bucket of the sure. the, the, the new device is I, I guess hearing impaired because we are um, you know he greets me with like a like a gesture he sort of like like waves in my peripheral vision to get my attention and then we're communicating the whole time he has a little tablet and we're just typing ma- ma- uh-huh. messages back and forth like in the piano uh-huh. he seemed very nice very capable to, but I'm just thinking wow I started the day doing web chat with someone who's probably in another continent, hoping to avoid an in-person interaction. And now I'm having an in-person uh-huh. text chat with another guy. But it's resolved. It's, it's resolved. I'm much poorer than I was. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. but you, you sold your soul to the company store. You're, you're still, you re-upped with Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this didn't happen because you threw it in water. No. No, it didn't happen because you fed it after midnight. I'm not sure I would remember if I if I did you expose it to bright sunlight. But, uh, I have no words of wisdom here because I am uh, tech not phobic but tech uh, ambivalent and I uh-huh. never update no, I anything. I I don't know anything about the cloud. I, it doesn't. I don't understand things. But I did uh, hear the voice of my late father in my head as you were talking, saying uh, his really only uh, words of wisdom in related to the tech field that he's ever passed down to me, which is that's how they get you. So if that is any help, that's... Well, uh, yeah. What the, the iPhone has done is I, I realized the reason this totally ate my whole day is because there is nothing that I can do without this thing now. Like, I need uh-huh. it to sign in to my job yes. in the morning. I used to have, like, take pride in how quickly I would, I would destroy iPods by sweating on them profusely when they were just iPods, when they were not uh-huh. your phone, when they did nothing else but play audio files for you. Um, but those days are gone. Like a couple of ones that I that I still have, I can't find the right cable to to charge them with. So it's just this one shot device. That's your your everything. It's your badge to get yeah, into geez. work. It's your. I think you just probably need to get a fanny pack, fill it with rice, and just keep it in there. And I think you'd be fine. Uh, I've been running with a fanny pack for 15 years, Glenn, because I can't uh-huh. run without without carrying hydration with me. I mean, what do you think yeah. I am? Like one of those people who I see every day who are just doing intense physical exertion and somehow not sweating or sweating. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, you could just uh, lick some electrolytes, I guess. You could just take some, I don't, I don't know where you get electrolytes from. I'm t- currently uh, testing <laughs> two new products. One of them is called Sport Legs, Glenn. Oh, I don't like that. Sport legs. The the logo of Sport Legs is uh, a, a drawing of some legs, yeah. With a little like the little n- no red circle with the strike through, like like on the mm-hmm. no parking sign or the Ghostbusters logo. So it's like no legs, like no, what, no what? legs. This is yes, <laughs> yeah. This, this uh, the is only for snakes. <laughs> on the bottle of Sport Legs says outperform your age. It's passive aggressive. It is. I, I'm confident that I'm outperforming my age. Thank you very much. So I put a picture of this on this bottle on Instagram, and uh, one of my, my colleagues at work commented with a very rational question, is it ground up legs? Yeah, that's true. It's, it's people. It's people. <laughs> yes, the Soylent Sport Legs is green or something. Yep, yep. All right, I'm not trying to rush you. Chris, but I am at like thirty percent on my phone. So this is right, right, right. So we you have never a heart charge out. your phone. That's... I never charge my damn phone. So <clears throat> do we? How much preamble do you think we need to do? This is a mailbag episode, by the way. This is yeah, uh, this is a mailbag data. episode. So this is why so... I'm wondering um, because I have I have a pivot if we are going to do the full folder all at the beginning. If we're not, do you? Boy, 
Yeah, I, I, ha- I have something to do. It's not going to be as effective, but... Okay, um, good, good, good. I don't think we need to, personally, me, but... Uh, well, we can save I'll, it I'll for... I mean, we, we're, we're going to be recording with the great humorist Alexander Petri very soon, and I am, yep. I'm certainly very keen on uh, no doubt doomed effort to ingratiate myself into the, the good graces of Petri. So I think we should definitely do the preamble on that episode. Good, because I wrote it for that episode. Excellent. So if I did it tonight, it would make no sense to anyone. As opposed to tomorrow night, when it will make sense to you. And that's pretty much all <laughs> that's, it that's make fine. Sense to. So that's a 100% increase right there. Okay. Well, then before we, we get to the listener mail, I just want to take a moment to celebrate the virtues of representative democracy. Okay. Of this, this beautiful citizen-constructed, citizen-sustained democratic republic that we have erected on the, the internet, Glenn, because I don't know if you even saw... No, you did see this, but I, I issued a poll testing among the electorate oh. your theory that it was time to retire. I did not the see the results. Did not see the results. Tired, okay. That it was uh, Glenn, there are people who share your view that it's tired, Good. that it should be uh, subjected to equestricide, <laughs> dead-horsed, yep. uh, pasteurized, Sure. That's what they glued. call it when you put something out to pasture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pasteurization, Louis, Louis. And glued. Yep, yep, yep. But they are a minority, Glenn. Mm. Are, are they plurality or are they minority? They're a distinct minority, Glenn. Okay. Let's put it this way. Just measuring by poll results, our preamble are, according to you, tired, played, exhausting, yep. overlong, mm-hmm. yep. hacky yep. preamble is more popular than President Biden, more popular than the Affordable Care Act, more popular than uh, coronavirus vaccines, more popular than strengthening gun control laws. 81%, 81% of the electorate, Glenn, said, no, okay. keep it. It is a prize to be cherished. Yes. Well, I don't think they said that. <laughs> well, that, that was clicked. how I phrased the poll. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to okay. find the poll just okay. so I, I can. Uh, first of all, Glenn, unlike our preamble, the Twitter poll is... Uh, a place of enforced brevity. Like mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, remember when Twitter used to be 140 characters and not 280? I do. Like for your poll options, you have, I don't know, like 50 characters maybe? I think it's like 25. Yeah, it's super it's short. So that's why I had to uh, make dead horse one word. I couldn't even mm-hmm. afford the, the space between dead and horse. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, I said, dead horse equestricide. Uh-huh. 19% of the vote. Uh-huh. Uh, prize to keep and cherish, 81%. Yeah, okay. You didn't do a NA, you didn't do a uh, undecided, you didn't do... Because I think that, that would have skewed it. I think, I think. You think Other would have run away with it? I think Other would have <laughs> run away with it. What's what's the other? It's a it's a binary. It's a yes or no, up or down. What's uh? uh no, I think it's binary. I don't think it is. I think you, you know we what? Could shorten it's, it. We could... An, we could tailor it. We could, um, well, I'm thinking shorten it, but that's... that's I know. Okay, so 81% of them love to hear us suffer. Uh-huh. Um, Paul Jack, I believe this is our frequent correspondent, Paul... I don't know. I'm trying to put the Twitter handle to the, to the person. Actually... It's a fool's game. I take it back. He did basically give us a, a third way. He re- responded with a tweet. My suggestion, do a themed one from time to time, like the 70s TV references in the Columbo episode. Otherwise, retire it, except for special occasions on mailbag oh. episodes. Oh. Use a fan-submitted preamble. Oh, oh. That's, you know, less work for me. Sure. I'm, I'm all for that. Yes. Except when we've done that before, when we've read some fan-submitted 
suggestions, they were just kind of repeating stuff we'd already done because it's so tired and limited <laughs> that it's hard to do, is my <laughs> point, Chris. Yeah. And you, you do feel awfully rude when you're like, because I'm, I'm so moved that people take the time to engage in this, this stupid self-flagellating exercise and then they'd be like, yeah, good effort, but I did that one already. Yeah. <laughs> Salt and yeah. pepper, episode one. Come I know, on. Right. But we and, can't and expect them to know that. with level of effort like that, you're never going to get it, never going to get it, never okay. going to get it. Okay. Right. 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 Should have seen that coming. <laughs> 81%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's not. <laughs> That's like a C plus. I'm reminded of the time I was playing categories with friends, and the category was languages. And uh, under E, I wrote Esperanto. Because no one around the table had ever fucking heard of Esperanto, they voted it down, even though it is right. true, rigorously true. They've never seen ignorance that one William Shatner movie? Ruled the day, succubus. Ignorance <laughs> ruled incubus, maybe. Incubus. Inc <laughs> ignorance and incubus ruled the day. And uh, I, I still, <laughs> as you can tell, yeah. I still think, think on it on occasion from time to fucking time. This game of categories was what 1987 or uh, uh, it was uh, easily the, the... it was it was like yeah it's right about <laughs> right about then right about now the Funk Soul Brother. All right, would you like to read some some mail? Let's and rip so, open uh, the mailbag, shall all right. we? Apparently, we're not gonna we're not gonna do any more any more preamble. We've we've done eighty one percent quite enough. Eighty one percent. These people are the ones who are writing these 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 oh, emails. I can tell. What did uh, what did Ronald Reagan? When, what, like, what percentage of the popular vote did he get in 1984? I can't remember. Someone, can't someone remember. will tell us. Yeah. Bet you, bet you, it wasn't 81 percent. Is it just big That's one uh, dot of <laughs> blue in Minnesota? Uh -huh. The rest was red. All right. See, I'm, oh, this I, I can already see. I'm about to do another yes, but just like I was saying, we we are loath to do with the reader submitted or listener submitted preambles. Uh, what are we going to do? Because the subject line of this uh, epistle is The Prisoner in Nowhere Man. Okay. From from uh, Gary, who did sign with his last name, Glenn. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to violate every protocol of the Witness Protection Program and say his last name when we... And he actually put his, his uh, city of residence, too. That's a lot of personal information. Okay. I don't know. I'll, I'll reflect on this as I, as I read his, his very kind note. Hello, Mr. Glenn and Mr. Chris. Is, is he addressing his elders, you think? To, uh, <laughs> no, it's we... <laughs> like it's, I have a master. I'm young, young. I have uh, a couple friends, uh, contemporaries, who have teenage children now, Glenn, and they call me Mr. Chris, and I'm, oh. yeah, like, I, I mean, are we in antebellum South like you're somewhere? A... Like, I don't... I, it... it sounds like you're a West Hollywood furrier. Oh, furs <laughs> by Mr. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Makeup by uh, the firm of Mr. Chris. Go ahead. All right. I mm, your podcast, and I would like to recommend a show that would be in keeping with the aesthetic and the message of the Prisoner TV show. A little about myself. I always appreciate good copies. From an early age, I learned to appreciate not just Michelangelo's David, but also the statues of David around it created by his students. I always liked the Ruddles in relation to the Beatles. Sure. I don't like Batman comics. Oh, Fighting words, okay. but put Nighthawk in Chicago, and you got my money. Nighthawk is that? Did he mean Nightwing? He's uh, you the think? Marvel. Yeah, he's the Marvel ripoff. Yeah. Okay. I thought yeah. I thought Daredevil was kind of the Marvel. And Marvel Moon Knight. Batman, pick pick but, one. You yeah, know, sure, <laughs> it's sure. all just yeah. uh, go nuts. 
I like a good copy that tries and sometimes fails to reach the heights of the original in its own way and in its own time. After The Prisoner, but during the heyday of The X-Files, the UPN produced a show called Nowhere Man. Nowhere Man was an American homage to The Prisoner with equal parts of The Fugitive and The Manchurian Candidate thrown into the mix. Michael Epstein, one of the, the two members with uh, Sofia Cassiola in Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, the, the Prisoner Band, that filmmaking duo that we interviewed several episodes ago. Yeah, he, he recommended this show, too. Thomas Vale is a photojournalist on the run who had his life erased by an organization that is after the film negatives of a mysterious photograph that he took nope. in South America. Film negatives. <laughs> it turns the entire... The daguerreotypes that he... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the entire 1990s America, which curiously looks like the backdrop of the Highlander TV show, also shot in Portland, into the village. It felt more immediate to me as a viewer in the 90s than the prisoner playing on the idea that conspiracies playing on the idea of conspiracies as a way to trap someone in as much as The Village Traps number 6. You can catch the series on YouTube. My suggestion is that if you want to watch any episode, watch Paradise on your doorstep, which is the episode most like The Prisoner. All the episodes all owe a debt to The Prisoner TV show, either in style or in playing around with expectations. It even has an ending that is sort of a dark mirror to the end of The Prisoner, where it tries to take The Prisoner idea one step further into the Panopticon Foucault territory all right. of, of the pendulum fame i guess is foucault how you say that it is uh panopticon foucault territory and doesn't quite get there but it tries it tries really hard and honestly like a good copy sometimes those attempts are as interesting to see as the original gary and chetta florence south carolina thank you gary you've just seen the premiere of network television's most intense new drama what am i doing here Thomas Vail's enemies are everywhere. What did you do with the negatives? The truth is somewhere. Death. Soldiers, airplanes. That's enough, boy. To find it, he'll go anywhere. Who are you people? What the hell do you want from me? What information, pal? But until he exposes the plot to destroy him, he's nowhere, man. Are you familiar with a photograph titled Hidden Agenda? You know I am. What do you want to know? Watch as week after week the conspiracy grows. Now tell us what we want to know. The chase quickens. I don't know you. And the suspense builds to an intensity never before seen on network television. Mr. Stoke will die if you don't answer the question. From desperation to madness, Thomas Vale's only chance to survive is to fight back. Whoever those people are, they're trying to do the same thing to you as they did to me. He's trapped in a maze of terror. I've made my first executive decision. What's that? Getting rid of you. Deception. Stay away from him. I don't have time for this. No! You never thought of that, did you? <laughs> I know what it feels like to have it all ripped away. Is there a way out? Find out. Bruce Greenwood stars in Nowhere Man. All right. I dimly remember, you were probably too young, but I dimly remember the existence of this show. I might have seen the pilot. Um, can you? Because if I try to Google anything now, I will lose your handsome face on the phone. <laughs> Uh, can you Google and see if that's streaming anywhere? I highly doubt it. it he uh, like... he said it's on uh, YouTube. It's on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, All and right. he actually provided a link, so I'm gonna click okay. the the link here. We'll see if this is seems like is it a like VHS a VHS of copy of a VHS copy of a thing. Uh, no, this looks too negative. <laughs> I just I just moved on the timeline to a random 
point in the middle of the episode, and the first words I heard were the negatives. <laughs> uh, no, this this looks like a like a first. I mean, this is probably VHS source, okay. but it doesn't it doesn't look like it's been dubbed a hundred times. Okay, I'd say it's uh, it's watchable. All right. Well, let's widen out to this. Copies that are as good or at least interesting to watch than the original. I didn't see this this question beforehand, but you did, so you probably have some some handy examples for to deploy right now. Huh? <laughs> yes. Right. Sure. Good. Go ahead. Mm, mm, mm. Um, well, I mean, uh, to to risk going off on a tangent uh, with you. Well, you, you have Bond. He's very successful, and then you have Inlay Flint. Which is Bond with a glint in his eye, and then Bond becomes exactly Bond. that. Bond becomes a parody of itself. There are certain things where um, the the public identity of them becomes the parody version, the caricatured version with the edges sanded off. And that's why you have everybody saying, like, particularly people who don't haven't read any Ian Fleming novels and don't watch Bond movies to be like, oh, yeah, Idris Elba, he's the perfect actor to play Bond, the perfect actor to play Bond, because he's very handsome and charming. Right. Okay, there are other elements to this character. No disrespect to Idris Elba, but... Yeah, but when Daniel Craig took it over, he took away the sadism. He took away the misogyny, right? Like, a little bit? I thought he brought layers to it that had been present in the prose. I'm not going to defend Ian Fleming's attitudes and worldview. I'm just going to say he, he could put a sentence together. And he gave the Bond character a psychological realism that uh, was never really present in the movies until Casino Royale 06 mm-hmm. with Daniel Craig. And then I don't think it even st- stuck around even as long as, as Craig's <laughs> run. No, that's right. uh, it, it would be great if that came back and no time to die for his, his uh, victory lap. But yeah, and I, uh, but I mean, what the public knows, I think, are the Bond parodies. I think they know the Roger Moore version. Mm-hmm. Money, Penny. Where's 007? He's on a mission, sir, in Austria. Well, tell him to pull out. Immediately. Oh, James. I cannot find the words. Well, let me try and enlarge your vocabulary. Kind of a goofy guy with, a, like you said, a twinkle in his eye and always a quip and, and certainly doesn't show any sense of being worn down by this miserable job. Mm-hmm. There are perks you get to... Go beautiful places, and uh, sometimes Her Majesty needs you to seduce some beautiful women. But mm-hmm. it's a lot of killing and a lot of taking beatings, and uh, and a lot of watching good people get hurt, and a lot of like feeling like you had something to do with the sorry fate that a lot of your your allies encountered. So I mean, and I think the Fleming and the the Craig version emphasizes more of the cost of of all that, and certainly. By the time we get to the the seventies Roger Moore version, like all that has has gone out of it, and that's the version that kind of sticks. Well, I mean, there's plenty of examples of this as a phenomenon of a of a copy being as interesting, uh, or in some cases more interesting. But we got to move on. I'm at twenty eight percent. So, sure. okay, next okay. question: Your beloved sixties Batman, right? That's sure. a, and I mean, I know you are sick to death of people being like, no, you got to bring back the psychological, real, the, the the dark Avenger of the blah, blah, blah. yeah. And yes, unless it's Lego Batman. I don't really need that at present, but uh, that 60s version was the dominant version for a good 20 years. You you remember that well. So. It was, and there were attempts mm. to uh, copy it because that's what that's how media works, and there was a Green Hornet that kind of took things a little bit more seriously. It didn't last, even though it had Bruce Lee as Cato. Oh. Um, 
but yeah. it, it, the show was such a product of its time, of the pop art phase, that it couldn't exist. It couldn't, mm-hmm. it couldn't yeah. be launched and sustained. And it, it kind of burned itself out very quickly. Anyway, next. I think if Bruce Lee had not lost that very embarrassing fight to uh, oh, stuntman see, Cliff this Booth is, on the, this on the set of moving. <laughs> Let me just say, nobody beat the shit out of Bruce. It was a friendly contest. He barely touched me. I think that dent in the car says something different. <laughs> Notice the speed with which I am moving on. This is from Ken S. The subject line is shameful admission. Hi there. Hearing Glenn pimp this podcast on what's making us happy a few months back made me want to rewatch the show. This is the gold. I We have done the Lord's work, Chris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Decided to introduce the show to my wife. <laughs> oh, Fraught. boy. Uh, uh, we ju- we had just finished the Invaders. Yeah, we we are not credentialed to give relationship advice. No, no, no. Now the Invaders this is the second time the Invaders has come up on this show. If you need someone to at least slow down an alien invasion, might I suggest a chain smoking architect? I'm sure that's funny. If I had seen the show The Invaders, uh, but again, this is a show that has been recommended to us before. Needed something to keep that spirit going, and we are now ten episodes in, finding it fun to just talk like Maguin over dinner. Me, please pass the ketchup. Her, you won't get it. Uh, none of this is the shameful part, he says. Agree to disagree. Actually, you know what? That's not shameful. Nothing about that is shameful. Otherwise, I would be living my life uh-huh. in shame. Just finished. Don't, I believe you and your spouse have a, have a certain 60s TV show repartee with which you begin road trips. On long would car you, trips. Would you, would you like to share this with me? On the... long car trips, I am sitting in the passenger seat, inevitably, because he's a control freak. And I say atomic batteries to power turbines to speed. And he only has to say, Roger ready to move out, but instead he usually says something like, Roger, moving out, or move move out, Roger. He's gotten better at it over the course of 23 fucking years, but uh, he's gotten better at it now. Oh, God. This is like that scene in uh, Out of Sight where George Clooney is in the trunk with Jennifer Lopez and he's misquoting all all the famous movies, and she's like... Okay, you're a fugitive and you've taken me hostage, but also I need to correct your (laughs) your movie trivia. Yep. Uh, Back to Ken S. Just finished Hammer into Anvil and the accompanying podcast and finally came to the realization as to why all all of your rankings are out of six. Nuance, he says, lost on me. And then he says something nice about the show. Sincerely, Ken. Um... It was lost on Jesse Thorne, Jesse too. Jesse needed so, most of the I episode mean, to uh, yeah. Yeah, put it together. I would, so. I would feel no shame. No, This is not a shameful admission. This is just a statement of fact, yeah. and I, I appreciate it. Let that be something that uh, listeners can discover in their own time. Mm-hmm. All right. I, back to you. Okay. Boy, oh, boy. I kept this one because uh, I, I only trusted myself not to misstate the gender of Professor Carolyn Coca, uh, okay. again, of the Department right. of Politics, Economics, and Law at the State University of New York, College of Old Westbury. Patty McGee and Columbo. Hi again, guys. I'm so pleased you'll be covering Columbo. Super pleased that Linda Holmes will be joining with you. You'll have fun with it, I swear. No need to swear, Carolyn. We did have fun with it. And, yeah, we and did. I think I think Linda did too. I mean, I know I know Linda gets around. I know she is a frequent contributor to other podcasts other than the ones she hosts, but I, I always like... Like to hear her, you know, when she she's a, lets her hair down a little bit. She doesn't have those hosting responsibilities, and it's it's always fun to just have her. Now she knocked it out of the park. She's yes. dependably yes. great, is Linda Holmes. Uh, I'm checking back in because one of the season numbers I cited in my first email is not how it's listed on Peacock. Oh, here we go. Oh, as my a teacher, people. which Our all people. of your t- which all of your listeners now know me to be a him. 
I just uh-huh. couldn't leave things like that. Assuming you and others will watch on Peacock, go buy this. All right. Uh, I know we don't have to give our listeners this information. I know they're very resourceful and they will get this themselves. But in, just to note Professor Coca's, um her devotion to the truth, <laughs> uh-huh. her her commitment to uh, correcting errors, no matter how, how small, which I admire very much. I'm going to share the professor's uh, syllabus here. Episodes he's in. Season 4, Episode 3 by Dawn's Early Light. Season 5, Episode 3, Identity Crisis, also director. Season 9, Episode 3, Agenda for Murder, also director. Season 10, Episode 12, Ashes to Ashes, also director. And one McGee daughter is in it. Uh, so we did talk about all of those with Linda. Mm-hmm. Episodes he's directed but isn't in. Episode 5, Season 5, Episode 6, Last Salute to the Commodore. Season 10, Episode 13, Murder with Too Many Notes. Oh, uh, this well, one has uh, the other McGee daughter in it, and and presumably not like uh, Amadeus, uh, right? Uh, it's okay, Je- Jeffrey. Jeffrey. What's Jeffrey his Jones. name? Jeffrey, Jeffrey Jones. Jones. He who why, must not be Why named. is he not working anymore, Glenn? Did, uh, yeah, yeah. Who knows what happened to that guy? Hadn't seen him in much lately. Nope. Loved him in um, Deadwood and, uh, and obviously Ferris Bueller. For, Ferris Bueller, uh, Principal Rooney. Yes. Yeah. Um, as I pat my trench coat pockets with my cigar in my hand, just one more thing. If you wanted to check out my books and comics, my books about comics, just let me know, and I'd be happy to send you PDFs. Maybe this isn't for the the whole. (laughs) Probably not, Chris. Be seeing you. Carolyn Carolyn is uh, the author of the Eisner Award-winning Superwomen, Gender, Power, and Representation. A book I have read and reviewed and recommended on NPR.org. Outstanding. Well, have you reviewed and recommended Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, Militarism and Feminism in Comics and Film? Not yet, but okay. today is young. There's some uh, assigned reading for you, my friend. Okay. And uh, I'm sure Carolyn would be happy to provide you with a copy. Thank you, Carolyn, for diligently correcting that extremely minor and highly forgivable error. We appreciate your correspondence so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. This is from Claire G. Subject, the prisoner finale theories. Dear Glenn and Chris, I have a theory about the ending, namely that number six has become the new number one. The door in the prisoner's flat, when we get back to London, has the number one on it. Now, this is the original number on the flat, as seen in many happy returns, so it could have zero significance. Zero. Uh, The fact that in Fallout, the person with the number one robe turns out to be a weird number six clone... Mm, I get a little squishy there. Uh, could mean that number six was number one, or a version of number mm. one all along, and has returned to London to continue the village's work there as number one. The fact that the flat door now opens like a door to the village also seems significant. Yeah. Number one on the flat could have been foreshadowing. Of course, maybe the flat door opening like a village door means that this London is really just another version of the village, and number six never really left, and now my brain has started to hurt. I'm probably reaching in order to make sense of this bonkers episodes, but there you go. Be seeing you, Claire. Claire, you are literalizing this show in a way that we have warned you not to attempt to do <laughs> this. Yes, yes. If you are prepared to do yoga stretches before you try to connect all these dots, then yes, you could be talking about that. But if this show has said nothing else, uh, it, is, it is that this show is meant to be read on a metaphorical level because things like logic and, and uh, continuity were not paramount to the creator of the show. Now, again, um, intention means nothing, right? It doesn't matter what you intended to make. It matters what you made. I still say that the door opening on the flat at the end is meant to be a 
a, a statement, a symbolic statement that we are all prisoners, that we're all trapped, that we are all prisoners of our own personal villages. And to work out this clone thing, God love you. I mean, I, I, I was there with you, Claire. I was you, Claire, the one time. Well, when, I mean, in, in Arrival, we have the uh, the maintenance guys, right? Uh, yep. The gardener and then the guy who comes to, to fix the radio that uh, from electrics on the on the little kitty cart thing that doesn't go very fast. And there's some dialogue yep. about it. in an emergency we walk. Yeah. And, and then number six encounters that person again. And he kind of does a double take. And I, I think there's certainly the suggestion that these are clones. But as with so many other things on this show, it's never addressed again after that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is there to cause college students in the quad who are very high to sit around and debate for three hours <laughs> when they should be studying their, their calculus. When they um, should this be is... debating for two hours and 15 minutes, but recording it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, suddenly, yes. I suddenly have a bit of insight I, Embarrassing. I, choose, not to, I choose not to entertain. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, this is the show, right? This is why it's lasted this long. It is a theory engine. It feeds it. It was constructed to do that. I like this theory. I, it is one of many theories that I entertain, but do not embrace because I think this thing exists to have many different interpretations. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that circular structure, it's, um, it's one of those things that, that did always sort of works to seem profound when it it isn't really right if you just put your characters back where you started them but with some hard-won knowledge you know then then certainly the the audience they feel like they've been through something they've had a range of emotional experiences along with this protagonist but i feel like that's a that is a way you can end a story with some dignity when you don't really know how to end the story Mm-hmm. Um, now, having Leo McKern, number two, just uh, walk back into Parliament, <laughs> that's something else. Like, that's, yep. a, that's, a real, that's a real revelation. That's a decision. That's a, that's a real ending. We get both in Fallout. Absolutely. All right. Back to you, Bob. Okay. All right. It's our buddy Paul Jackson again. Hey, remember that episode of The Prisoner where Susie and the Banshees in XTC played in Port Marion, guest starring Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie? No? Well, it exists. Call his wife in. Nothing to say but what a day. How's your boy been? Nothing to do. It's up to you. I've got nothing to say, but it's okay. Good morning, good morning, good morning. A still tongue makes a happy life. How did you get in? Questions are a burden to others. Answers are prison for oneself. Get out! This is a kind of special that the British host Jules Holland did in 1987. Uh, it's called The Laughing Prisoner. It is a thing. You're familiar to be, with this? To, no, I watched no, it okay. because Paul was kind enough to send it to us. Mm-hmm. And man, this thing hits Teenage Glenn's uh, sweet spot. It's The Prisoner. It's Jules Holland, lead singer, lead guy of Squeeze, a band I love to fucking death. Um, and uh, Stephen Fry and Hugh, Stephen Fry mostly. Stephen Fry plays number two in the village. It is filmed largely in Port Marion, and Jules Holland plays a British entertainment show presenter, as they say over there, uh-huh. right, right, who right. resigns and is taken to the village um, 
and there's several jokes that lack all context to an American audience about um, pr uh, presenters and um, British people. But uh, Paul is absolutely right. Susan the Banshee plays uh, one of my favorite songs. XTC plays The Man Who Sailed Around His Soul as a dance number goes on on the chess grounds. Um, and also uh, what, uh, what Paul neglected to mention was the band Magnum, the hair metal band Magnum, which is led by, as far as I can tell, David Lee Roth's drunk uncle, because ooh, <laughs> that is, uh, there's a reason why bands like Susie and the Banshees, XTC and Squeeze, their mm -hmm. names ring out in time and yeah. a band like Magnum uh -huh. just doesn't. But Jules Holland, apparently the host in this, and there are some solid jokes in, in this and some less than solid, very squishy mm -hmm. jokes in this, has a love of the show that is very deep such that he has remade his studio uh, to look like uh, Port Marion, uh, so his recording studio. So um, this is a find. This is exactly the kind of thing that I had gone to a prisoner, a six of one convention or anything. This is the kind of thing they would play because this is so deep with such deep cuts. They actually intersperse shots from the prisoner and they use the music and they use shots of McGowan walking around the village. And and it seems to me highly legally actionable because, I mean, this was for Channel 4 and the prisoner was originally on ITV. So how did that happen? Did ITV eat Channel 4? Did Channel 4 eat ITV? I don't know how it happened, but it right. is. I don't know. British law must have something akin to fair use, right? I don't know about that. I mean, like, this this is the thing. But it is so. It's not, you know, flumber, flumber four, right? It's number It's number four, number six, yeah. and number two. And Stephen Fry, by the way, makes a perfect, as you'd imagine, if you know anything about Stephen Fry, makes a perfect number two. The plummy, uh, <laughs> who keeps asking number number seven, which is the Jules Holland character, why he resigned. And as soon as Jules Holland starts to offer it up, he goes, well, let's move on. And this is the village. Get to know it well, number seven. From now on, it's your home. It's your home until you give us certain information that we require from you. Well, I'm perfectly happy to tell you anything you would like to know. What would you like to know? Don't play games with me, number seven. I'm not very good at them. By hook or by crook, by fair means or foul, we will find out why you resign. Well, it's perfectly simple. For a I begin to weary of your impertinent tricks, number seven. Let me tell you and there is a very brief Hulori bit in it, and there is a thing about how Rover is now the size of a kind of a large beach ball because he's been around for he's, so uh, many years and he's kind of go. tired. He's yeah. let himself go. He's kind of tired. Edith, have you seen it yet, Chris? No. Oh, it's remarkable. It's a real oversight on my part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, run, do not walk. Um, I guess you would say... It's called The Laughing Prisoner for reasons that escape me, unless it was meant to be a take on The Laughing Policeman, the, uh, the, the British, very British thing. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess you just type in Jules Holland Prisoner. You're probably going to come up with a bunch because his, his love of the show is famous. So, but uh, definitely, definitely thank you. Maybe we can, we'll send this link out on over the uh, Twitter feed and the Instagram Absolutely. feed. Absolutely. It is a find, and I am so grateful to Paul for pointing me toward it. I, I'm still reeling from the revelation that Jules Holland was in Squeeze. Glenn. Uh, Somehow I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know this. I didn't singer. know. Like I, I, I knew about. Uh, you'd said to me half an hour ago. You said Squeeze. I'd say Chris Difford, Glenn Tilbrook. That wouldn't be wrong. But no, no, he's OG. I'm just, but, I'm uh, just looking at the Squeeze Wikipedia page, and it, it says that there are three discrete incarnations 
of this band. One of the subheads is the Difford and Tilbrook years. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and on the long list of, of past members, uh, this is like looking at Spinal Tap's list of drummers. Yeah. Uh, but Jules Holland is the top name of this list of, this is like 15 people here. Yeah. This has yeah, been, yeah. been a lot of, a lot of turnover in this band. You two, they ain't, Glenn. No, that's certainly true. Um, they're better. Um, oh. Yeah, no, I know. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I did that because we're this. I've got like I got the twenty. I got the twenty percent sign just popped up right now. Yep. I don't know why I did yep. that. Yep. All right. Well, we got one more. Subject line is thanks. Also, Danger Man. Okay. Dear Chris and Glenn. Earlier this year, I finally got around to watching The Prisoner for the first time, something I had been meaning to do literally since 1993. I wonder why 1993. I was going to say, that's it's a strange, a, yes, that's not a, strange yeah, signpost. There wasn't a remake. There wasn't a comic book series. That's my flag in the sand here in 1993. I fell for it hard. I watched the series three times in a row. Okay, well, that's damaging. And then binge-watched Danger Man for good measure. Ooh, a completist. Yeah, okay, so that's uh, that's 17 episodes of The Prisoner times three is 51. Danger Man, um, I know Magoon, there's that, that interview in the 80s where, where Magoon identifies the number of Danger Man episodes, and I think he famously gets it wrong. But it's, mm-hmm. um, it's at least 60, 60, sure. I mean, it's a substantial number. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have anyone to discuss it with. If only I had known at the time that you guys were doing this podcast. Okay, so I guess we can't claim credit for this. but uh, this time. I recently discovered A Degree Absolute and have had lots of fun catching up on it. At the risk of embarrassing Glenn, I offer this appreciation. Uh, Bess has provided uh, a set of lyrics, Glenn. A few, a few couplets. Okay. Uh, a chorus. Um, to the Danger Man theme? I nope. I sent this to you. Did you not? Uh, no, I didn't see it. Did you not? Nope. Okay, okay, this is nope. not. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to skip ahead, and then we'll and then we'll come back to her uh, tribute. Uh, you've mentioned Danger Man on the podcast, but haven't discussed it much. I ha- I can understand if you don't want to watch through that entire show, but I hope at some point you do take a closer look. Maybe devote an episode or two of the podcast to a selection of Danger Man episodes. It's certainly a more conventional show than The Prisoner. Well, duh. That's uh, the author as well, duh. That's not uh, that's not me editorializing. <laughs> not me being a dick. Okay, <laughs> exactly. It did sound like it. <laughs> uh-huh. No, she she put that in parentheses. Uh, but it's smarter than I expected. Parentheses, cheesy fist fights aside, and it mm. is chock full of top shelf Maguin. She italicized okay. top shelf. I liked it quite a lot, especially the second and third seasons. I would personally recommend if you watch just one episode for the podcast, make it Colony 3, the third oh, episode yes. of the second season. It's a good episode and has plot elements that are strongly prisoner adjacent. John Drake goes undercover to investigate the disappearance of British defectors and finds that they're being relocated to a replica of an English village in the middle of nowhere, someplace on the other side of the Iron Curtain where they lead fakey, normal, in quotation marks, lives under constant surveillance and are forbidden to leave, all so that foreign agents can learn how to pass as British. Uh-huh. I don't think it would be that <laughs> difficult. But, uh... <laughs> they just get embarrassed easily. That's, yeah. that's the first thing you learn. Uh, thanks again for the podcast and for taking the time to read this. Be seeing you, Bess G. Well, uh, all right. if, if, if all you had done was to uh, write us that kind 
epistle with the suggestion that we go to some danger man, I would be uh, certainly indebted to you, Best G. But since you, you really went above and beyond and did a little spin on our theme song, I had to ask Casey if she would sing it for us. Oh, jeez. The jokes can be sweaty, but they're always astute. Mm. They put in the work on a degree absolute. They break down a prisoner and more stuff to boot. Sure. That's right up my alley, a degree absolute. That's nice. Because, yes, I love a lot of laughs and weather balloons. Sure. And bomb ass impressions of Patrick McGuire. Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for me. Oh. So I'm going to thank them an absolute degree. <laughs> See? <laughs> she worked in the, uh, the title of the podcast. This is awesome. This is very sweet and awesome and great. And thank you, Casey, for going back to this well. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> there's, a, yes. there's a woman at the bottom of the well that you keep throwing lotion at but yes thank you so much for doing it that's awesome sending our love down the well well, you are indeed sending our love down this well that we're going back to multiple times that was awesome yes thank you thank you bess and thank Thank you you, bess and casey there are four billion people on earth 237 are scanners they have the most terrifying powers ever created and they are winning. Scanners. Their thoughts can kill. Scanners. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. Okay. So uh, next up is the Scanners episode that we promised with the great Washington Post humorist and playwright, Alexandra Petri. Um, she's a great Washington Post humorist and a great humorist apart from the Democracy Dies in Darkness newspaper that will <laughs> never, ever hire me. Um, yeah. yeah, she is not a Washington Post playwright. But um, we have to, you know what? Actually, one of the plays that was postponed due to COVID here in D.C. was uh, something she had written called Inherit the Windbag. And it was about William F. Buckley. And uh, so, so I don't know. It's, uh, she, she's going directly into the uh, political satire realm in, in her in her uh, writing for the stage as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I hope we'll still get to see Inherit the Windbag. I am looking forward to it. If people want to watch Scanners before this episode drops, where can they do that, Chris? Well, it's on the Criterion channel. So, of course, yeah, you, you do need a subscription for that. I, I, I think it's uh, available to rent cheaply through all of the regular streamers. But I can endorse the Criterion channel. I think I pay 80 bucks a year or something for yeah. uh, for a year, not not a month. And always, always a really eclectic, cool selection of movies. And, uh, you know, if you love the and, and you lament the disappearance of the behind the scenes featurettes as uh Physical media is on the wane. Criterion has you covered, um, just as they are famously have all those great extras on their discs. They make all that stuff available on the channel and lots of extra stuff, too. Like, it's just random, like, oh, Ryan Johnson or whoever goes into the Criterion closet and you can watch this little featurette. Uh-huh. All your favorite filmmakers talk about why they love this or that movie that's available on Criterion. And it, it's great. Yep. Yeah, so Scanners is, is still there as we speak. Love the Criterion Channel. Um, judgment on, on Scanners the movie? Oh, we'll, we'll talk about that tomorrow. <sighs> we? 
No, we'll talk about that. Sorry, listeners, next week. Next week. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that. I always forget to do that RuPaul thing where I, even though it's the next day, you're supposed to say next week on blah, Right. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It was Cronenberg's THX 1138, maybe. Uh, yeah. THX one one suck eight, but yeah, okay. Wow. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> talk about it. All right. Well, till then, Glenn. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Nobody does it better. Makes me feel sad for. Degree Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klimek. I wrote our silly theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion with Marcus Newstead on bass. Learn more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Jonathan's band, Daybringer, is on Bandcamp. You can find them there. You can find us on Twitter at not a number pod on Instagram at a degree absolute write the citizens advice bureau at a degree absolute at gmail.com finally leave a five star review for our show on Apple Stitcher whatever podcatcher you use if you post it along with your craziest prisoner take we will read that take on a future episode Lastly, another reminder that NPR's podcast startup guide create launch and grow a podcast on any budget by one Glenn Weldon is available now. Uh, I think he was probably quoting Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix when he said that his book is not so much about giving you the answers as helping you know what questions to ask. What do you want, wide engagement or deep engagement, right? This is this is, uh, this is is what podcast people say all the time. And save that filthy talk for your, your other podcast. <laughs> Nobody does it about show business this is about some kid down a hole or or something and we've all got to do what we can there's a hole in my heart as deep as a well for that poor little boy who's stuck halfway to hell though we can't get him out we'll do the next best thing go on tv and sing 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 and we're sending
Krusty, what are your plans for the royalties? Well, we gotta pay for promotion, shipping, distribution. You know, those limos out back, they aren't free. Whatever's left, we throw down the well. The jokes can be sweaty, but they're always astute. They put in the work on a degree absolute. They break down the prisoner and more stuff to boot. That's right up my alley, a degree absolute. Cause yes, I love lava lamps and weather balloons. And bomb ass impressions of Patrick Magoon. Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for me. So I'm gonna thank them an absolute degree.